Our reading this morning is from Lamentations 3. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Life is difficult. This is the great truth, writes Scott Peck, one of the greatest truths. But how difficult is life supposed to be? And for how long? And why does it seem like some people don't experience much difficulty at all? And where is God in all of this? Our reading comes from an often neglected corner of the Bible that records the raw, unedited emotions of the early days of Babylonian exile, traditionally written by the prophet Jeremiah. For years, Jeremiah had been relaying messages from God to his people that their wicked ways would end up coming back to haunt them. And at the very tail end of the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, we read about the fall of Jerusalem. In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They camped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. The story goes on to say that the king was captured, the temple, royal palace, and entire city were set on fire. The walls surrounding the city were broken down. His sacred artifacts of the temple, crafted during the reign of Solomon, were taken away, and the people were exiled to Babylon. And it's in this context that the book of Lamentations opens. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Chapter 2, verse 15, is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? 
By chapter 3, though, the national lament becomes deeply personal as Jeremiah moves from grief over the loss of Jerusalem to grief over his own personal devastation. I am the man who has seen affliction, he begins. As your pastor, I know a lot of your stories. You've trusted me with some of the worst that life has thrown your way. And while I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand this morning, if you have seen affliction, I can see your hands raised in my mind's eye. And of course, despite the fact that I'm your pastor, there are so many stories that I haven't heard. And that's okay, as long as they've been heard by someone. Last week, there was lots of talk around Bell's Let's Talk campaign, this idea of opening up conversations and removing stigma around mental health. At the end of the day, I was talking with Melissa, and she was saying that she had been trying to kind of spread this message around and raise money or whatever, and she said that she was getting flack for spamming people. She said, people are annoyed that I'm spreading these messages. And I thought that maybe we'll have to fumble around a little bit. Maybe we'll just have to figure our way through this. And if it's going to take a, a corporation who's going to make some money on ad revenues in order to, to get the conversations opening up, well, that, maybe that's just where we've got to start. Sometimes it can feel like life is caving in all around us. So many distractions, so many expectations, so many disappointments. I was reading recently from Karluve Knausgaard in his book, Winter. All this hardening and misery, all this suffering and loss of meaning is also a part of life. And it exists everywhere, but it isn't as easy to see, not just because it originates within, but also because most people try to hide it, and because it is so painful to admit Life was supposed to be full of light. Life was supposed to be easy. Life was supposed to be laughing children running along a beach by the water's edge who stand smiling into a camera on the first day of school, brimming with expectation and excitement. But for many of us, that's not what life looks like. As I was writing this section of my sermon, my vision sudden, suddenly started to blur to the point that I couldn't read what was on the screen in front of me as I was writing, so I increased the font size to like 250% so I could at least make out what was going on. Uh, eventually, the, the blur kind of went away from the center of my vision and it blurred out towards the periphery. And then in time, it transitioned into a deep, dull, throbbing pain of a migraine headache. Now, when I first started getting migraines, it was scary. I didn't know what was happening. Why is my vision going? Why am I suddenly nauseous out of absolutely nowhere? And it was scary, not knowing. But as soon as I was able to recognize, okay, this is what's happening, well, then I just settle in, realize there's nothing that I can do about it, and go about my business. Life is difficult, Scott Peck writes. This is the great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth, because once we see this truth, we transcend it. The sooner we acknowledge that life is difficult, the sooner we can begin to live it. Two years ago, we did a sermon series in February along similar themes, 
And one of the mornings we talked about anxiety and depression, and we had a gathering in the upper room in the middle of the week to talk about it, just to share stories. And I remember attending that, and when we went around kind of introducing ourselves at the beginning of the night, I said, I have to just be honest. I said, I actually haven't struggled with anxiety or depression, but I'm here to learn. I want to listen to the experiences of people in our community. Fast forward to last summer. Now, for those of you who have not been around Elevation for very long, or maybe you're just visiting, just a very brief context for you, last year was a very difficult year for our church community. We went through some challenging times together. We made some very difficult decisions, and part of that resulted in some loss and some grief along the way. And so one night, came home from work, standing in the kitchen, starting to think about, you know, what we were going to do for dinner, and tears started coming to my eyes. And I am not a really emotionally expressive person. Crying is not a part of my daily routine. And one of the things that came to my mind instantly as these tears started to well up, really not triggered by anything specifically, was, oh, so this is what they're talking about. My mind went back to that conversation in the upper room and people sharing about what it was like for them to feel the overwhelming experience of anxiety or even the, the, the depression. And I thought, this is what they were talking about, this emotion that I'm feeling right now. But what I didn't know at the time was that my education was just beginning. In the words of the late poet Mary Oliver, tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Well, I want to share a little bit about my experience last summer. Those tears were not the only time. I began to experience over the course of the summer, actually, like a loss of control of my emotions. There were times where I would just be so angry at the snap of a finger, and then there are other times where I would just be overwhelmed with sadness. On a couple of occasions, I was driving and actually had to pull over the car and just sat there weeping just overwhelmed by everything that was going on and how I felt like everything around me was just crumbling. There were times when I felt like I didn't have control over my emotions, but also didn't have control over even what I was saying. There were times when I said things that I would be ashamed if you knew the words that came out of my mouth because I just didn't have control over what I was thinking or how I was feeling and in some occasions what I was even saying. And there were different low points throughout the spring and the summer. And it was the fall that really scared me. I, the fall is a time of transition, a season of transition for everyone. You move from the summer into the school routines. And, and in our family, the baseball season wraps up and we head into uh, hockey for Jude. And so uh, Jude tried on all of his hockey equipment and toward the end of the summer and he said, oh, I need these things. And he gave us a little list of stuff that we needed to buy. And his first evaluation was rapidly approaching, and I said, yeah, I'll take you out. And, and then day by day went by, and he kept reminding me, Dad, we've got to go out. I've got to get this equipment. You know, my evaluation's on Friday. I've got to get this stuff. And so it was the day before, and I remember coming home from work, and I sat down on the couch, and Melissa and I were just kind of sitting there debriefing a little bit about our day, how things were, and there the tears appeared again. And I said to her, I, I don't even know how to explain this. I don't even know what's going on with me, I said, but I can't take Jude to buy hockey equipment. I said, I'm, I feel like an idiot. Like, 
I'm sure this sounds stupid. I don't even have any reason for this, I said, but all I know is that I have been so overwhelmed with the thought of buying hockey equipment. I said, there's just no possible way that I can leave the house right now and go out and do this simple task. You know, when I think about my own experience and how overwhelmed and the despair that I was experiencing last summer and fall, it feels foolish. When I hear a story like the one I heard last week, I was in a gathering with a small group of pastors and kind of a new guy joined the the group and he's a, a Persian pastor and he told his story. He's from Iraq. He grew up Muslim and he went uh, to a Quran school and, and he had this dramatic conversion to, to Christianity and he tells a story about losing his job because of his faith and, and then being sent uh, out of the country and he had to live in a refugee camp for a couple of years before he immigrated to Canada and he talked about his struggles here and, and his desire to lead uh, people who are finding Jesus themselves and he talked about some of his friends who remain in refugee camps in Turkey and, and he's telling the story and I'm like, my goodness, like, what do I have to say about anything? What complaint do I have about anything that I've gone through? Because it pales in comparison to this man's experiences. When we think about the fact that life is difficult, we need to be careful to avoid the twin traps of overestimating and underestimating our trials. Jeremiah overestimated his trials. He said in Lamentations 1.12, is any suffering like my suffering? Come on. I mean, first of all, there are thousands of people who are going through the exact same thing that you're going through right now, first of all. And then what about everyone else who's ever lived down on through the years? So there's this temptation that we have to, to think that our situation is the worst and to wallow in that. And we've got to be careful that we avoid that. But we also have to be careful that we avoid the underestimating of our trials. I read this headline in the news last week, Minnesota may see wind chills of minus 70 degrees. Now that's Fahrenheit, so it's really only minus 57 Celsius, right? But I've read that and I'm like, what? So I'm not allowed to feel cold? I mean, we got minus 32 here. We're all freezing like crazy. So here's the thing we need to keep in mind, and this is really important. Every one of us has our trials, and not one of them negates another. I mean, even just think of the variety of trials we have. For some, it's finances. For others, health, or a marriage, or career, or addiction, or mental health struggles, or, or conflict with family or friends, or struggles with faith. Self-image. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, how do you compare one category of struggle to another, one intensity of struggle to another? Well, we shouldn't compare them, but we should talk about them. Back in the spring, I was talking with a member of our community who was going through a very difficult season and was at a very, very low point. And I remember saying, one day you're going to tell your story. I would love for you to tell your story to the church community, and they said, really, like, you would, you would want that? And I said, I'll tell you what I'd really like. I said, I would love for you to tell your story now, in the middle of it, when you have no answers, where you don't even feel any hope. Like, I would love for you to be able to say, this is life. This is what it's like. We have this podcast that 
we're trying to get going where we want people in our Elevation community to share their stories. And they don't have to be stories of great exploits and adventure or, or terrible despair. They can just be about everyday life, but we want to find ways to share our stories, to listen to one another, to know that we're not alone. Now on the other side of my own difficult year, I think back to that comment that I made about wanting to hear someone tell their story in the, in the middle of it, and I realized and can appreciate how difficult that would actually be. I couldn't have shared even the things that I've shared here this morning back in October. I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I'm sharing this on the other side of months of time passing by, as well as several months spent talking to a counselor in a professional setting where I was able to get some help processing through my grief. So back to Lamentations. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. When things go wrong, we look for someone to blame. We do this, don't we? We look for someone to blame. I think about if I ever find, you know, I open the garbage in our kitchen and I find a broken dish, I don't just think, oh, someone broke a dish and then close the lid. I instantly launch into like investigation mode. I'm like, who did this? How did this happen? When did it happen? And why are they trying to hide it by putting it in the garbage? I mean, it's ridiculous. Who cares? It's a dish or a mug. Just let it be in the garbage. But for some reason, I've got to blame somebody. Leo Tolstoy once wrote, it is hard for anyone who is dissatisfied not to blame someone else, and especially the person nearest of all to him. Well, over the next 19 verses, Jeremiah points his finger in God's direction. And I'm just going to reread a few of those verses for you this morning. We'll read verses 2 to 7 and then 10 to 11. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. This is God he's talking about. God, like a lion hiding in the bushes, jumped out, attacked me, mangled me, and left me for dead. But blame, whether it's placed on the people around us or on God, doesn't help with our trial. I was thinking about this brief interaction between Jesus and Peter in Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. We love to blame people. We love to hold on to grudges. But Jesus says, no, just keep forgiving. Just let go because he knows that blaming people doesn't fix the problem. Jeremiah's pain is so great that he actually gets lost in it for a while. 
I cannot escape, he says. I read this excerpt from Douglas Copeland's book, Life After God. And then I felt sad because I realized that once people are broken in certain ways, they can't ever be fixed. And this is something nobody ever tells you when you are young. And it never fails to surprise you as you grow older, as you see the people in your life break one by one. You wonder when your turn is going to be or if it's already happened. Just a complete loss of hope. One of the details lost in translation is that Lamentations was written in the rhythm and style of ancient Jewish funeral songs. And so when the people would have heard it read aloud, it would have reminded them that this was about death. It was about an end. There is no hope here. But ours is not a faith that readily recognizes endings, is it? Ours is a faith symbolized by an empty cross, a reminder that even when things are over, they're never really over. When life is crashing all around, when circumstances threaten to overwhelm us, we need to find the strength to keep moving forward. Rachel Naomi Remen writes, the way we deal with loss shapes our capacity to be present to life more than anything else. The way we protect ourselves from loss may be the way we distance ourselves from life. If we're not willing to accept that life is difficult, then we risk falling prey to the idea that we can somehow protect ourselves from being hurt again. Isolating ourselves from people or situations that might make life more difficult is a short-term solution that really isn't a solution at all. Blaming giving up, and avoiding all ineffective ways of responding to trials. But what should we do when we feel walled in and weighed down? The first part of our reading this morning ends, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. But this isn't actually how Jeremiah's lament ends. I had Mel stop short, and so I'm going to invite her to come back up and read the remainder of the reading. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore... I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, 
he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Jeremiah turns from blaming God to acknowledging that God is not to blame. He is committed to remembering his affliction, but also to remembering God's faithfulness. Jeremiah calls to mind the goodness of God and reminds himself of the good path. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. No one is cast off by the Lord forever. Great is his unfailing love. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. And so slowly but surely, Jeremiah begins to see things with more clarity, which leads him to consider a different approach to his trials. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord, he says. I need to have patience here. I need to wait. I need to trust. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Maybe somehow these trials that I'm going through, they'll shape and form me in a way that's significant in the long run. Listen, I'm not trying to romanticize your pain, but to draw our attention to how the changing perspective of someone who once questioned whether anyone's suffering compared to his demonstrates the possibility that lies within even our deepest struggles. Got one of those email forwards this week, and usually they're just so terrible, I delete them right away, but I, I like this one. Uh, so you see here the snow-covered car, and someone has taken the liberty of, of drawing some nice cartoon pi pictures in them. Like, why not? Have a little fun with it. Yes, your car is covered with snow, but we can have a little fun. Or if you're more artistically inclined than this person, you can try this one. I have another image here uh, blowing it up for you so you can see this beautiful, detailed work of art, you know, painted by someone's finger in the dust and the salt on the side of their car. So, yes, take something terrible, dirty, and turn it into something beautiful. I quoted from Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen earlier. Uh, her story is fantastic. At the age of 15, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and she was told that she wouldn't live beyond the age of 40. I heard her in an interview telling her story at the age of 72, after having eight major surgeries. She knows what it means to say life is difficult. At one point she said, I have come to see loss as a stage in a process. It is not the bottom line. It's not the end of the story. What happens next is very, very important. Sometimes what appears to be a catastrophe over time becomes a strong foundation from which to live a good life. It's possible to live a good life even though it isn't an easy life. I think that's one of the best-kept secrets. Case in point, headline in the news this week, Refugee Wins Literary Prize. This is Beruz Bukhani, who could not attend the ceremony for his Victorian Prize for Literature, the highest literary award in Australia, because he was confined on an island for illegally immigrating. And so while in detention... He used his cell phone to write the book, No Friend But the Mountains, writing from Manus Prison. And he submitted the transcript of his book to his publisher via text message. This isn't to justify 
whatever it is that walls us in or weighs us down, but to point out that we don't have to wait until we're free of our trials to start living. If someone with Crohn's can become a doctor and live beyond 72, and if someone imprisoned as a refugee can win a country's top literary prize, what can you and I do? One of the questions I want us to ask each week during this series is how are we to pray? So this morning, how are we to pray when we're walled in and weighed down? This is a great line from Eugene Peterson. He says, sometimes I think all I do as pastor is speak the word God in a situation in which it hasn't been said before, where people haven't recognized his presence. So whatever your trial is, whatever it is that you're walking through, God, how do we pray? How do we invite God into our circumstances? Well, what we learn in Lamentations is that we can start off by remembering that God's compassions never fail, that they are new every morning, that great is his faithfulness. This can be how we pray, by celebrating who God is and how faithful he is to us. If we keep our eyes on God, even in the midst of the worst of what life can throw at us, we will discover a way forward. In the words of Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. I want to close this morning with an invitation of sorts. There's this great line at the end of the book of James in the New Testament of the Bible. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Earlier this morning, we heard from Patricia about the pastoral care team uh, who is going to be available to pray following the service this morning. And so while many will, will make their way through the lobby and into the gym for some discussion about this morning's theme, we do want to invite you to join members of the pastoral care team in this front part of the church for some prayer. And we also want to invite you to join us tomorrow night or any Monday during this month. We're going to take some time together to explore themes like we're talking about this morning in more detail, have a chance to share and to learn together. But I want to close this morning with the words of Jesus. I'm just going to say them and then we're going to leave and I want them to echo in our minds and in our hearts throughout the rest of the day. In this world, you will have trouble, he says. But take heart, I have overcome the world.